Welcome, everybody, to the USL Show. It is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. It's Phil. I'm back to talk to you. Unfortunately, Evan is still having the time of his life watching uh, Republic of Ireland play. Oh, now I'm forgetting who, but, you know, a random country. Be Georgia 1-0. There you go, Georgia. So uh, your home country, right, Jason? Yeah, um, one of my favorite memes of all time is when there was a war in Georgia and someone went on Yahoo Answers and said, I turned on the news and saw tanks. I live in Atlanta. Are, are we in a war in Georgia right now? So, it had, representing. It had to happen. Um, the the voice you just heard was uh, is uh, Jason Weintraub, famous from uh, League One Fun and a lot of other podcasts, to be honest. Uh, Jason, how's your night going, man? It's going good. Better than uh, Germany teams who keep allowing their American players to uh, come play in friendlies. Yeah, it's a it's a rough, it's been a rough week for Americans playing in Germany. Um, yeah, I guess Tyler Adams is like, I'm not staying because this is what's going to happen to me, right? Yeah, yeah. Red Bulls like, nah, get him out of there. Yeah, get him the hell out of there. <laughs> uh, the other voice you heard before his that wasn't mine is Ryan. <laughs> Ryan Allen, I almost did it again. Ryan, how are you doing today, man? <laughs> going pretty well. I do want to have to spouse at least one food hot take, and I want to say that marinara sauce is better than Alfredo sauce. This hot take is brought to you by the fact that when I was getting pasta today in the ECU dining hall, out of 10 people in line, I was the only one to get marinara sauce. Listen, man, white sauce, uh, Alfredo sauce at a college cafeteria is not good. It's just not good. Marinara sauce was is clearly the better option. You only get Alfredo sauce if you're getting it on Ficini Alfredo. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you. 100%. Um, the man, the voice you have not heard yet is uh, Big Kev McCamish. Kevin, how's it going tonight, man? Good. How are you guys? Good. Uh, you said a, a few minutes ago you're sipping on mead right now. That sounds good. That's yeah, really good mead. Um, I found it when the wife and I were on vacation last weekend. And we ended up buying another bottle. So, I thought it's expensive, millenn- expensive stuff. It's like forty-five bucks. I thought wow. millennials were broke. All y'all are taking vacations and buying <laughs> expensive bottles. I don't know what is going I'm, on. I'm thirty. I'm almost thirty-seven. Does that make still make me a millennial? No, yeah. it doesn't. No, no. Yeah, you old ass. <laughs> I think I'm thirty-five, and I think the uh, year younger than me is the first millennial year. So I'm I'm like borderline. Kevin, I think you're pretty comfortable not being a millennial. Yeah, I, I know I'm in, I'm within a couple of years of the border, but I don't think I am. Millennials are considered around starting at 1980 or 81. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a few years removed well, as well. So, well, I was in 82, but what is? Yeah, interesting. I I think I count. I get I spend way too much time on my iPhone, and I'll I'll admit it. So. I think that's a millennial thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, What do you say we uh, jump right into the news today? Um, I wanted to start the show off because it's a special week in League One. It is their uh, opening week, weekend. Their first games uh, ever are starting this weekend. And Jason Weintraub, who is also a part of League One Fun, a new show that I hope you've listened to by now. Um, I just listened to your uh, League One 101. I think it's your best show yet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was because everyone told me I had a two minute uh, tangent limit. So I think because of that, we stayed on agenda, stayed strict on cue. And yeah, we got through it. Um, If you guys haven't listened to it, we gave a guide to every team, the structure of the league, everything that you would want to know about this league in 40 minutes. So if you've ever been interested, if you've seen a player that's playing for a team, or if you're looking at uh, potential players to move up to your USL championship team, definitely a show that you guys should check out, a podcast you should check out, uh, learn the in and outs, learn what it means to go full Mingo, and uh, learn who we think is going to go to furthest this year and uh, who's going to do some damage in the Open Cup. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I've always thought was cool about USL, the USL is that we're the beginning of what will become, you know, players that play in MLS and, and higher at this point now. Um, and I'm hoping that's what League One becomes. So I've always been confused why some people are kind of too snobby to check into the USL. It is gaining popularity, and that's a good thing. But I hope the more we get uh, players moving from League One to USL to uh, MLS to abroad, the more uh, the more depth, the more nerds we get, more soccer nerds we get looking into League One. It- 
And you should definitely check it out. I mean, the league has five uh, U.S. youth national team players, right? So, and these are players who potentially can make a jump straight into MLS because of the affiliates, whether it's with North Texas going to Dallas or uh, Richmond having a Columbus defender uh, on loan who is a United States youth national team player. So if you're a nerd and want to look at um, some up and coming players that you think can fulfill our desperately needed back line and left back position, that's the uh, place to go. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. We're gonna, they're going to be skipping the championship half the time probably. So that's yep. something to watch for. Uh, Ricardo Pepe had a pretty good finish in a friendly. If it wasn't today, it was yesterday or something like that. It's just good stuff. Yep. Um, sticking with League One, uh, the good thing about it too is that you can watch it. It is going to be broadcast on ESPN Plus, or if you're not in the United States, it'll be on YouTube, just like the championship. So that's pretty awesome. I'm looking forward to watching all these teams. If I if I can find time to watch some of them, I'm gonna do it. Um, what do you think, Jason? What's the what's the first game everyone should watch? The biggest one. I know it's hard to yeah. choose. It, it is tough. Um, so Friday night, if you aren't doing anything, which you're not because you're listening to a soccer podcast, yeah. so I assume all you nerds right. aren't doing anything on a Friday <laughs> night, uh, you've got the inaugural game. You've got South Georgia Tor- Tormenta FC versus Greenville. Uh, I'll be at that game in Statesboro. Um, I'm a Georgia State alumni, so a little begrudgingly, but I'll be there to uh, witness it, and I'll be there witnessing in style in a VIP tent that uh, Tormenta FC have, so I'm excited to see what comes with that. But uh, this is going to be fun. Um, Tormenta is a team that was very successful last year in PDO, which is now League 2, went undefeated in conference, brought in 11 of their players from last year, and are, have a have a kind of mysterious uh, team play. Some players that we might not know of. Uh, the coach and the team itself this preseason has been keeping it under wraps as how they're going to play and which kind of possession style. So, you know, not a lot of us know how they're going to come out of the gates. And then Greenville, you know, brand new team has crazy support already. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the surprises of this league. Uh, you've got the first United States. Uh, player to play in the Premier League and coach John Hart. Um, he has a great defensive core and brings in hometown heroes like Cameron Saul, who I think is going to be a household name by the end of the year. So if you had to choose a game, I think that's definitely one uh, to check out, especially like I said, since it's on a Friday night, you know, grab yourself a beer, whiskey, and uh, have some League One fun. I love it. Well said. Uh, there's nothing much more League One sounding um, or lower division soccer sounding than something like a, uh, a VIP tent. That's oh, yeah. that's some fire festival kind of stuff right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Don't it. Don't wish that upon me, please. I do not. <laughs> if, if I see a cheese sandwich, I'm out of there. <laughs> exactly. Um, we don't want to spend too much time. Go listen to League One Fun if you want to hear more about League One. But we do have to mention because Ryan has been uh, guessing. He's been predicting this game from the beginning. Ryan, you want to talk about the new news with uh, forward Madison? So on, I want to say Thursday or Friday of last week, forward Madison announced that they were announcing a friendly against a top five European opponent. And it took me just a tiny bit to connect the dots that my guess would be Hertha Berlin, which today they ended up announcing that it was indeed Hertha Berlin to be their opponent on May 24th. I figured they worked out a deal with uh, Minnesota United because Hertha is playing Minnesota in their new stadium on May 22nd and just kind of keep them in that part of the country. But no, it was just cool that they called out how many people would want to guess it. And it was interesting in that thread that uh, the Ford Madison account was liking every single tweet, responding to it, guessing a team, except my particular tweet. (laughs) So I thought that was just kind of like really telling. And then obviously when I tweeted today that I called it, they liked that one. So it was all in good fun. Yeah, soccer predict, uh, soccer predictions and uh, how to read your communications department 101 from Ryan, Ryan right there. <laughs> uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Forward Madison, you know, everyone's got to love it. Again, League One Fun talks about it plenty. So uh, uh, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, I didn't read this until Ryan brought it to my attention before the show today, but it's a good article in the Post-Gazette in uh, Pittsburgh talking about the future for uh, the USL in Pittsburgh maybe mentioning that they could use uh, a new stadium in the near future or distant future and that it would be a game changer for the USL in Pittsburgh. 
Ryan, since you brought this to my attention, uh, what were some of your uh, big highlights of this article? I th- thought it was interesting to- just talking about with the Jake Edwards basically saying it was the one like professional soccer team they have here. And it's really important that you keep Pittsburgh in USL and it's being successful. I know you mentioned in the show notes that it's going to be interesting to watch a lot of these teams that they're good independent sides, but maybe not poised for MLS. I know the struggle with Pittsburgh is you always have to compete with the Steelers in the fall. you got the Penguins, uh, Pitt Panthers around this time, the Pirates are so here it's just it was interesting just to hear his opinion on these certain teams within the league especially the ones who would possibly be moving to a different stadium i know it mentioned here in this article that pittsburgh was 24th in attendance last year it's just like one thing to consider for a few of these sides going forward yeah and, and kind of what you got to there i love that you know Jake Edwards knows what what he is. You know, he knows he's the championship. He's League One. He knows what kind of teams he's going to hold on to and what kind of teams he's going to lose to the the future, which is the forty team MLS. If we're all being honest, so uh, Pittsburgh is a team that he could probably hold on to and will be one of his biggest teams when all is said and done. To be honest, so that's that's kind of a glimpse of the future USL in the world of a forty team MLS. So. Um, yeah, good one to kind of just get a glimpse of the future there, in my opinion. Any other thoughts from anyone else there? Um, let's move on to, I didn't hear much about this, uh, the Nashville TIFO talk. I just saw the talk. I didn't read into it. Listen, I'm not a gossiper. You know, I don't like to read the tabloids of uh, lower division soccer, which is basically Reddit. But uh, <laughs> I figured we should mention it because I'm actually kind of curious now. Anyone want to spread some rumors with me? Sure. Kev, what do you know? Tell me. Spill the beans. Well, I don't know any. I just follow Twitter, and it just sounds like the Nashville supporter group, they're printing their TIFO. I don't know if it's on a single sheet of 8x11 or if they're somehow getting a full like wall poster size. Uh, it might be hard to see in the stadium, but um, I would understand that if it was like, oh, crap, we got to like whip something together in like 30 minutes. Hey, Kinko's, can you help us out? Sure. Mm. I wouldn't really care, but I guess the game is like a month away, so I don't really understand that. I I think the reason I'm not huge on this this topic is I'm not as in on uh, supporter group culture because you know, Luligans, I'm not like super involved. I didn't realize it was like a huge deal that you have to paint your own TIFO and that printing it is, is plasticky or cheap, but I get it. I, I didn't realize it was a big deal either. Uh, I mean, I'm part of the 107th and I'm a Timbers Army member, but I'm not um, like ingrained in the culture. Um, I know a lot of the people and I talk with them and everybody is just amazing. I love all of them, Um, but I'm just so busy. You know, I don't have time to just hang out with people and talk and kind of get into things on the, the depth that many others have over the past 10, 15 years and such, you know, before even MLS. Uh, When I was in college, I had the time and hung out with them, but that was before the Timbers Army days. Uh, But I just know that, you know, when we do TIFOs, it's always painted. We have a a big warehouse that we paint that stuff. They all go out and they draw on the canvas, and then volunteers come in and paint. And sometimes it takes a couple weekends, but when you've got time – and planning ahead, then you just schedule and people come and do it, and it's great. So I don't know what it – I haven't heard anything. I've heard that they were printing it. I don't know how it's going to set up. I know last year in Atlanta we did a full stadium TIFO pretty much to where it was everyone got on their chairs and had something that they hold up, and it spelled Vamos Atlanta. And it was, it was cool, but the thing about that was obviously when it involves that many people – it was printed, right? Or it was it was um, items that were, I guess, flashy and not necessarily paint on paper. So I'm wondering if it's something like that to where everyone's going to have some kind of a piece of it and then they flip it or flip, you know, and it spells out something. Um, I'm not in a supporters group, didn't know that there were set rules uh, for supporters culture and making TFOs and all that. So... I'm not quite sure when that was started, if that's just like a, a a club rule or a supporters group rule. But y'all talk about Nashville going, you know, being MLS's little, you know, brand. 
manufactured this year. So what else do you expect? Why, mm-hmm. why does it matter? Right? Like if y'all are so if y'all aren't worried about them going to MLS and what they're doing this year and getting loans and whatever, whatever, then don't worry about it. And y'all paint y'all little TFOs and make sure it's better. I don't understand hmm. the whole idea of, Oh, look at them. They're de- like, who cares? Right? Like they're obviously doing this to impress the viewers to impress the audience so that they can gain support for MLS. Worry about what y'all are doing because y'all want to paint TFOs, then t- paint one better. Right. When Nashville comes to your stadium, I should see a better TIFO than what they're doing, or I should see the commitment for you to make your own TIFOs the way that you are committing to talking about it, right? Because if it is part of some supporters group culture rules that I don't know about, then I'm sorry, but I didn't think that it mattered, right? If you want to manufacture, if you want to call a team manufactured, yeah, they're going to have manufactured TIFOs. So don't worry about it and just do your own thing. It does play into the narrative, doesn't it, though? I hadn't hadn't considered that. And so it is almost like too perfect not to say something to a certain extent. But, um, you know, I I do respect that some people do spend all the time, like Kev talked about, and, and paint and... I mean, it's a huge sacrifice of time and effort. And so it is something that you should have a lot of respect for if you're doing it that way. Uh, but is it better? Is it not? I think that's a good debate. Ryan, any thoughts before we move on? I just hope if they are printing it on paper that it just doesn't rain for the match. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well said. Um, I, we wanted to get to this last week. We just didn't have time. And so um, I'll say this now. We may not get to every single game today. Um, and the reason is I do want to talk about this before we move on. Um, and that's because Mike Pendleton, uh, fat deuce with a pH, um, on Twitter does amazing attendance graphics every single week. And we have to bring attention to it. Um, I'm pulling up the graphic right now. I hope you guys are too. And, um, you know, we're, I'm looking at all the different things that happen. I'm seeing the average in all of USL championship is 4,400. The coolest thing I'm excited about this year is league one is going to add into that. And we're going to get to see league one outperforming probably some clubs, some of these bottom clubs in the championship more than likely. Just just skip Orlando. Just go ahead and don't, (laughs) don't really look at that one. Yeah. Toronto too. Right. But, um, you know, the championship has their two teams. League one has their two teams and those are always going to suck. I mean, we've covered that. Um, uh, well, we've well covered that in the past. Uh, Ryan, do you want to get us started on some of the things you noticed about this? I guess as a good opener, we have the New Mexico United leading the way with uh, average attendance, although they also have had, I think, three home matches in their first four games. So that's helped kind of boost uh, boosted it. But it still looked very impressive from their side. You have the usual suspects of Sacramento, Louisville, Vegas up there. El Paso with another really good shout. And then, of course, you look down towards the bottom and you have the a bit more disappointing ones of Swope Park Rangers, Bethlehem Steel, and uh, New York Red Bulls, too. Of course, New York Red Bulls, too, and Swope Park are in their same stadium situations from last season of playing in uh, children in uh, MUS and SU and Children's Mercy, respectively. And then uh, Bethlehem moving from Bethlehem to Talent Energy. It just it made a situation not really improve their attendance. Yeah, it's almost like all those people who are saying Bethlehem was so far in the middle of nowhere aren't showing up at Chester either. Mm, not in the middle of nowhere. Well said. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. One thing I noticed is the top seven of all the top seven clubs in attendance, five of them are played in baseball stadiums. And so um, would we rather not have, you know, that almost an average of it looks like 7,000, 8,000 attendees to five baseball stadiums. Would we rather not have that, or would you rather have a culture started and perhaps upgrade like Louisville's going to do in a couple years? Um, what do you guys think about that? That's kind of a cool thing to see on this chart. Yeah, show your worth, right? Like if you – I understand when teams come in and have to play on baseball fields because of them not having the amount of demand and – finance to build a soccer specific stadium for a team that doesn't exist. Right. So if you have to play on a baseball field for a couple years, but then you show the demand for it, you show the consistent attendance and you put that pressure on, you know, the, the County or the city or whoever to build a stadium and find somewhere to, and show that it's going to make them money, then yeah, I'm about it. Do I want to see that happen for more than a decade? No. I definitely don't want to see teams playing on a baseball field permanently, but if that's what it's going to take to start it, then I'm all about it. Yeah, it's exactly how I feel. Um, 
uh, that's something else we didn't mention is uh, Butcher Town released that video and and the draw the you know what would you call that almost virtual uh, 3D renderings I guess is the best way to say that uh, in video form of Butcher Town Stadium that is being built as we speak maybe not as we speak but it's being worked on um, looks great right um, I think almost everyone has positive thoughts about that Ryan what do you think. I think it looks fantastic. It seems like it's the route I think a lot of um, USL teams should take. I think uh, Kyle Kepner a few years ago had a really good tweet saying that a lot of the stadiums in Scandinavia were like really good models for these USL teams because they were like enclosed 15 to 20,000 seat stadiums. And it was just something that the league should definitely shoot for. And it's or at least with the uh, MLS two sides, we have seen improvements. Uh, Tacoma Defiance has seen their attendance mm-hmm. boost, and the Portland Timbers too has definitely benefited as well. Uh, Kev, would you like to speak a bit uh, how uh, just playing at Merlot has improved their attendance? Um, yes, their attendance is better at Merlot. Um, I think in general. One caveat I do want to make on their opener of what was it? 21,024. There is like, there's no other soccer going on right now. The Timbers first team has 12 road games as the stadium construction finishes up on the expansion. Um, The Thorns haven't started Uh, the very next day. This was Saturday that they opened on Sunday. The Thorns started their preseason tournament at Merlot as well. Um, they probably actually did a little bit better than 21,000 or 2,100 <laughs> can't fit 21,000 at Merlot. That'd be cool though. Uh, it's a great, I mean, I've been there. The The pitch is just glorious. Um, one of the better grass pitches I've seen in my, in my lifetime. Um, but it's a nice cozy little place. Uh, I, you know, I think the people really like going there. They prefer watching T2 at Merlot for the most part. Um, because even if you got 2,000 people in Providence Park, that's a far cry from how it feels with 2,000 people at Merlot versus, I mean, and, and even at Providence Park, I think Timbers have gone as low as like 500 for a T2 game down there. Um, it's not it's not good when they go back to Providence Park, but I'm, I'm very interested to see how T2 does with their home games at Merlot uh, before June 1st because 2,000 is a little bit less than I was hoping for, um, but more than I was expecting. So I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Any other attendance thoughts before we move on? Yeah. Shout out to, uh, Vegas being a uh, top five in attendance and yeah. bottom five in results. So apparently, <laughs> uh, you know, if we lose, you get tickets is a uh, winning key for attendance out there in Vegas. I'm going to dump that <laughs> a spicy take. That was good. That was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Vegas, you know, I've said it before. I got to give them props because their game day is fun and they do a good yeah, job. It's an atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And the Which culture. I think right. In a sense. And I think for new teams, that's something you should strive for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now if that's all you have to show for after a couple of years, then yeah, you obviously need to work on a product on the field, but I can't hate if Vegas is showing consistent attendance and making that money despite what's on the field for their first couple of years. I think like they have a very unique atmosphere and game day and yeah, you can't hate on them for that. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, okay, we, we're going to touch shortly on U, uh, USL players on international duty. Uh, CONCACAF um, League of Nations is going on right now and has a lot of interesting stuff happening. I think we'll probably talk to Pony about that next week a little bit more. Um, but I know I've been really interested that you know one of the cool storylines for the USL is their national team players. So I'm going to at least mention in the U20 team, Trey Muse, Jalen Lindsay, Matthew Real, uh, Andrew Carlton on the 23s, um, JT Marchinkowski, Marco Farfan, Donovan Pines, Eric Williamson, Josh Perez. Um, some of those are tweeners, of course, but um, you can see some of those or most of those or even all of those sometime during the year in USL Championship. That's pretty awesome. Anyone else want to mention some uh, players that are on here? We got a good long list that Ryan made for us. Yeah, I had uh, watched the US Egypt game, and um, Pines was probably the best player on the field. Oh, wow. Um, probably, probably not necessarily because, uh, because he stepped up, but more so because he had to, because uh, the US just couldn't hold possession in Egypt 
shot at them 20 million times and pines was there to block a bunch of them. So, uh, team definitely owes him dinner. <laughs> and the game that wasn't a great game from the U S pines did stand out. He's been getting good reviews at Loudon, So that's pretty cool too. Um, anyone else want to mention some players? Jamaica with eight of their own players of Jason Johnson, Junior Flemings, Kevin Lambert, Speedy Williams, Sean Francis, Malik Foster, Jamot Topi, and Brian Brown. Those are all like very notable players. Like if you were looking at like preseason teams, that's three from Phoenix. You have Brian Brown from Reno, uh, Louisville with a pair and Sean Francis and Speedy Williams. It just, those are all from like top performing clubs. And to consider that eight of them are all playing for their national team is uh, an amazing testament for how well USL has been doing. I know uh, they, a lot of players in the league, at least as far as the international countries go, uh, Jamaica is definitely up there in the number of players they have in this league. Without a doubt. Um, yeah, you want a good attacker in the USL, Jamaica is a pretty good spot to go find them. Um, so uh, they've been very good. Uh, shall we move on to games, fellas? Let's start. Um Games we watch is what we're going to start with. So if we skip a game, we're not in order. That's why we're going to do the ones we watched first, and then we may or may not hit up the ones that we missed. Uh, a lot of games every week, so I'd apologize, but for goodness' sake, people have a heart. Um, games we watch. Let's start with New Mexico. Oh, sorry, New Mexico United two, Tulsa one. Ryan, you watched that one. Um, what do you think? Santimar just keeps scoring. I mean. And we were talking about it in the group chat that we didn't think it would be able to like maintain this, but it just kept on scoring. I think what was most impressive from this was that New Mexico just dominated the first half of this game. They, I think they held uh, Tulsa without shots in that first half. And it just, it, it took a really big response from Tulsa in the second half to score or that one goal, but it ended up not being enough. Uh, they only hit, he had a one shot in the first half at the end of the match with 15. So definitely it was a better response from Tulsa after halftime. But New Mexico just continues to really perform well at home. Uh, Devin Sandoval got the other goal in this 2-1 win. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about it more. I don't want to spoil it. Let's move on to the next game. Uh, St. Louis versus Tampa Bay Rowdies. Uh, 1-1 to draw. I'll just say that St. Louis and Tampa Bay, I think after watching two of their games each, um, well, I've watched all three St. Louis ones, but I've seen two Tampa Bay games. These two teams are really similar, I think. And I'd say Tampa Bay has a little bit more finesse to them, um, but St. Louis has a little bit more bite. And so that was a really cool matchup that I think is still going to be an interesting matchup when they play away, uh, when St. Louis goes away to Tampa Bay. So that's those are two teams to watch that um, they're going to be – pretty decent at least i would say you know as high as five or a little higher if things go well um both could drop off the edge of a cliff as well at any given moment so um two teams to watch ryan did you think anything else by watching that game uh same thing school with uh st louis's first shot on target but overall <laughs> that was like, pretty even i mean uh it was an 11 11 shot battle with both teams having three shots on target and there were uh, four more from uh, Saint, from sorry Tampa Bay who were blocked. But overall, it seemed like it was a very even game, and the draw was pretty much well deserved. Uh, it's kind of a pretty standard result. I will say it was interesting that uh, both teams' captain scores with Fink of St. Louis and hmm. June Gonzati of Tampa with the uh, PK at seventy six. Yeah, I didn't consider that. But yeah, um, that's something else I wanted to mention. I'm glad you kind of said it there, is that even the stats were really, really close as well. So, um, And then the other storyline with Tampa Bay is they just got a good draw away from home against a decent team, at least so far, in St. Louis. So another storyline to watch there with Tampa Bay, can they win away? It looks like they might be a little better at that this year, at the very least. Both teams toward the top of the East, 2-0 with one draw. So um, let's move on to the next game. Swope Park Rangers 2, Pittsburgh Riverhounds 2. Jason, why don't you start us off here? Yeah, so uh, if you want to review this game, go ahead and just skip to the 70th minute. Uh, a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of action not really happening in the first 70th minute uh, or the first 70 minutes. Uh, so surprising names on the Swope Park side. Oh, yeah. uh, Kellen Rowe uh, was probably the one of, if not the best player out there, as he should be since he is an 
MLS player playing uh, in the division lower. Um, but then you, you, I looked at this game like a horror film that spent way too long trying to character build for the first 70 minutes uh, <laughs> and then decided to put two hours of action in the last 20 minutes because the last 20 minutes of this game was absolutely insane. Um, and so Riverhounds scores a goal off of a set piece, uh, Toby with a header and just terrible marking from Swope Park. And I mean, that middle of the box was open, like wide open, more open than a Waffle House. And it was just, I don't know if you look at the tape, it was led by Segbers who starts marking Toby and then stops and then goes up to the top of the box where there's no one. And I feel like if he was there, not to take any away from Toby's uh, goal, uh, I think he went off his thigh, but if he's there, then at least put somebody there to disrupt it and not have a wide open goal. Uh, but then Segbers made up for it uh, 10 minutes later with a great uh, cross after a one, two, he played. And at the um, end of that cross, uh, who scored that? Let me check my notes. Oh, Rodney Wallace. Yep. Yes. The 30 year old Rodney Wallace is playing uh, for Swope Park. So these are not your 16 year olds that were scoring last year. Um, <laughs> So then Rowe scores a few minutes later uh, to put Swope Park up to one. But I, what I want everyone to do is on that goal, watch Busio because Busio drew in three defenders after getting the ball and pushing forward. And it left the side wide open, which was then a easy cross to Rowe to finish it because there was no one there to really disrupt it at all. So in a game where Busio didn't really do too much, uh, he was efficient with his passing at 85%, uh, but he made the difference when it mattered. And then we get to the 90th minute and the 90th minute Dos Santos, speaking of players who didn't do too much for the whole game has a great flick to Velas, uh, uh, which set up a PK after, uh, Abundalali, uh, brought him down. But let me give y'all a little bit of a, a take here, a spicy soccer take. If you don't mind, I don't think it was a PK, I think it was a PK that shouldn't have been called, put it that way. If you go back and look, um, you will see that Veliski has his arms wrapped to the front and pushes to kind of slingshot himself in front of Abundali on the run. Hmm. So he started behind him and then slingshots himself in front of him. And then Abundali has no choice but to start stumbling and fall into him for the PK. So I just want everyone to go watch that because it was an important call in the 90th minute and could have been a one that saved a uh, two points for Swope Park. Interesting. Um, Valeski, I've kind of mentioned it before. Valeski and Dos Santos are two players that were really successful for Lily in the past, but it was like three years ago now. So I don't have tons of faith. I feel like Pittsburgh is a little bit falling behind just a little bit like a Lily ball. I think this year is going to take a bit of a dip. I'm not too impressed with them. Only because, also, I've been very unimpressed with Swope Park's defense in general. Um, I think they've been pretty terrible. And I think the New York Rebels game was more um, more like what they're going to be like this year than, than this game. Because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit low on Pittsburgh Riverhounds. But um, we should probably move on. Any other thoughts about Swope Park versus Pittsburgh? Oh, Gideon Zalalem played in this one as well. New signing for Sporting Kansas City. He played in the sixth role, moved up for a couple minutes to the eight, and then they pulled him out for the Malaysian Messi, who Zalalem is going to be using his fame to take his spot, in my opinion. Um, is it? My question is: Is it uh, with Salt Park, or you know, playing all their Sporting Kansas City players? And I mean, starting players like Rodney Wallace has, has won crazy. MLS Cup of Timbers. And he's a start was a starting with New York City, and now he's playing with Swell Park or Sporting Kansas City. Is it because they didn't have a game because the international break and they needed minutes, or is there health issues? They're trying to like gain, um, gain uh, health and to get full fit stuff like that. I, mean, I think it's mixed because I was a little confused about Kellen Rowe had just played sixty minutes with with Sporting. Granted, he's not been playing a ton, so maybe that's part of it, but. I was a little confused about that. He's way too be too good to be playing in Swope Park regularly. I hope that was a one time well, thing. And still, still Pittsburgh got a point. So <laughs> it's true. I mean, well, props to him. You know, no Swope. Uh, um, Sporting is still in Concacaf Champions League. 
So they have a couple of games coming up to where they're going to have probably four games in two weeks. So maybe Roe is in there to stay loose in case he needs to be playing on the weekend games um, when they have to go down to Mexico. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's at least that's the best thing I could think of as well. So, um, you know, interesting there. Um, They almost I I like to say that Pittsburgh almost got killed by the MLS loan monster, which we're going to see tons and tons this year, of course. So. Ronnie Wallace. <laughs> cool. All right. We spent too much time on that. Let's move on to Charlotte three, Atlanta two, ATL UTD two, at least scored three goals as well for a draw. Ryan, you watched this one. This one looked like a Western match to me. What'd you think? It was wild. I mean, you <laughs> had for Mario Williams open scoring in the first minute, just the first of his hat trick. He gets another one in the 42nd and it just honestly, if Charlotte, as Pony said on Twitter, if they played matches like they were like they play in the final 20 minutes of these matches, they would be one of the best teams this year. The first 70 minutes of the game this year, Charlotte has been outscored 5-0. In the final 20, they outscored their opponents 5-1. Like you start off in the 75th minute, you have Dominic Oduro gets one back. Then you have Keevan George in the 85th. Then in 90, you have Jorge Rivera who puts Charlotte up and then only to have Romario Williams cap off his hat trick in stoppage time of 90 as well to make it a 3-3 draw. It was like, again, like just go back and watch the final 20 minutes of this game and you'll get the entire gist for at least how it went down. Yeah. And every game uh, Charlotte's been doing that. So that's kind of interesting. I guess that's only two games so far. So, um, but yeah, I said it's like a Western game because Charlotte plays really open soccer. Their games have been exciting um, because there's a, there ends up being a lot of goals scored, kind of like a Phoenix game or a, or a New Mexico United game so far. So something to watch there. They're they're kind of bucking the Eastern Conference uh, vibe that everyone's been following the last several years. So um, that's another one to watch. Uh, let's move on to Louisville to Hartford. One. Oh, I watched this one and um, Hartford. I just want to say that Hartford hasn't been terribly impressive yet. Um, why am I blanking on uh, the coach's name? But he's playing like he's always played and um, it's real defensive, not super attacking. And they did kind of get a goal in this one. And it was just that that kind of goal. I don't know. Jimmy um, Nielsen. Thank you, Jimmy Nielsen. It was going to kill me. They look like the energy from two or three years ago, whenever he was there. And they did make the semifinal, the Western semifinal, in one of those years. So it does work. It can work. Does it work in the new USL? Is I don't know. I've just been feeling like the USL has taken a step in the last year. Only even the last year has been a big step, in my opinion. But guys like Lily and Nielsen, I worry about them a little bit right now. But I may eat those words, and I'm... I'm happy to do that. The other side of this is that Louisville is, you know, two wins now, I believe. So not against great teams per se, but, you know, they're getting their stuff together. Spence, Spencer, Luke Spencer looked really good in this game, and I think that's a good thing for sure because he hasn't looked terribly dangerous until uh, this last game. Um, El Paso got two goals when they played uh, Rio Grande Valley. They um, also got two goals, so that's a draw. Kev, let's start with you on this one. Um, I watched this uh, as I was waiting for T2 to start and kind of uh, I need need going forward. I need to watch the correct uh, team from New Mexico. Um, It it was very much, I think, two teams they are going to be struggling this year played out very much like that. You know, El Paso is probably going to be disappointed that they didn't get the win. Um, You know, it's it's I think it's just a new team. They're struggling a little bit defensively. RGV don't look all that good either. So. Um, it was not a very exciting 2-2 draw. <laughs> <laughs> well, RVG had like a bunch of Dynamo players come in last minute too, right? Yeah, and I think when we get these weeks where NLS is not playing because they're taking international breaks or these teams have other stuff, what surprised me is that they would bring it in on a on an away trip. You And this always happened with Portland. If the first team was not playing, if they had a week off and T2 was in town, you could almost guarantee what I dubbed a T 1.5 team that they would throw out there just to get, you know, reserves or maybe even a couple starters that wanted to get some more minutes out on the field and play with T two. Um, and it's one of these, it's the same kind of sort of situation, but the only difference is like why they would take them on the road. But I guess maybe going all the way across Texas and in Mexico is not that far. I mean, it is, 
particularly by West Coast standards. But sure, you know, if they want to do that, it's fine. Still only got a draw. <laughs> I mean, uh, on Twitter, seriously, local soccer pod was basically uh, these yeah, their full time result. It said it felt to them like a loss, honestly. And I, I'd assume they would have to be disappointed. I mean, it was fantastic crowd in El Paso. But to give up a goal at 79 and 90, it just seems disappointing that they had to just share the points that night. I forget what team always drew last year. El Paso is starting to feel like that kind of team this year. But uh, I remember on the pickums, I would just give that whatever team that was the draw every single week. And so Fresno. Uh, yeah, it is. It's Fresno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, last year was Fresno. So they stopped doing that. But I think for the most part, I think for the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and to me, that could be a culture thing is the only reason I mentioned that. So something to watch, perhaps. Um, Orange County 2, New Mexico United 2. Let's start with Jason. It's been a second. Uh, what do you think of this game? Yeah, it's a game of two halves and, and a important draw, in my opinion, for OC. Uh, New Mexico came out, dominated possession in the first half. Santi just caused havoc everywhere. I mean, this man was connecting on 75% of his his passes at one point Santi went up to Kevin Austin at the 23rd minute mark and just said, Oh, that's a nice ball. I think I'm going to take it and immediately just took it off his legs and went towards goals, um, scored a goal in the first half. Um, and it was that high press that just really gave OC problems. It's, um, you know, what Mike Jeffries kind of did with Charlotte last year, he had this high press, but I think now that he's got younger players and more importantly, players who aren't hurt, it's, it's working for them. And, they're, they pressed well. OC wasn't even in the game for the first 30 minutes, and then they finally started getting possession. But there was at a point where there was the six-minute spree where OC didn't have the ball for longer than 20 seconds. That's what that press did to that team. Um, and Suggs was a key role for that. He was all over the place. So first half, New Mexico goes up. OC had zero shots on goal. Um, but then... Big, big play from the 17-year-old, the youngest signing for OC, Aaron Cervantes. One-on-one goal with Ryan Williams. Saves it at the beginning of the second half. And if he would have made that, it would have been the game. Because New Mexico is up 2-0. That puts them up 3-0. And I think by that time, the game is too far out of reach to get. Instead, keeps them in the game. And then Forrester, in the last 20 minutes, killed it created multiple chances, had multiple shots on goals. And, and a big part of OC turning this game around was getting the possession and slowing down the game. New Mexico, like they've done in the past, aren't a second-half team. And they start to panic when they have tired legs, can't clear it. A lot of free kicks, a lot of great corners, which led to two goals for them to tie up and have the draw, um, both coming from crosses and a special shout out to Liam Trotter who came in and killed it those last 20 minutes, five recoveries, uh, was the one who intercepted the pass to go up on a counter, drew the foul. And then on that free kick from the foul in the 90th was the one to receive the ball and cross it in the Leonardo for the game winner. So a very good draw for OC because had they have lost that game at home after disappointing last week, I think the panic button might have been uh, warming up for some fans out there. Uh, Jason covering all the details there. I had some <laughs> questions to ask, and now I don't have any questions to ask. <laughs> um, anything you guys want to add, Kevin, Ryan? Well, the one thing I wanted to say is, um, I mean, I, I'm really enjoying watching New Mexico almost exclusively for Santi Moore. Um, but the other thing with New Mexico is uh, as an expansion team, you know, uh, these guys uh, are just starting to get used to each other. They probably even even four games in still need to work on their game fitness. So, you know, not having not lost. I mean, they are at six points out of four games with a win and three draws. They're undefeated still, which is actually, I would say, very impressive for an expansion side. Um, as the season goes, if they can continue that, you know, it's not going to get them anywhere near the top of the table but in in a tight west it could very well mean the difference between getting a low playoff spot and not making the playoffs especially if they can turn these draws into wins as they improve both their team chemistry and their fitness mm-hmm. and it's them it's theirs to lose because they it's not like they are they are up and then giving up late goals to draw. So if they can correct that, that changes everything. And it happened, you know, last week, even with Tulsa or the 
game against Tulsa, they won, but Tulsa started looking better in the second half and they gave up that late goal. So uh, that's the one thing that New Mexico really has to work on. And that comes with experience and being able to learn to not feel that pressure and to uh, have better positioning with tired legs. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Santi Moore, um, I can't wait to talk to Evan when he gets back about that because he was nowhere near this crazy good when he was in Bethlehem. So um, we've Did had. You say that go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. No, go ahead, Ryan. I was just saying, if he was nowhere near that in Bethlehem, could you say that he's now playing in a system that like works with Santi Moore a lot more than what they used him in Bethlehem? Yeah, possibly. What do you think, uh, Phil? Yeah, I was going to say that I think he thrives with the freedom and the space. I think those are the two um, yeah. the two main things there with New Mexico versus Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem does come across as being more stringent, right? You know, they, they give everybody exact details on how and, and where they want to be. So, um, yeah, New Mexico seems more like, hey, go out there and, and, and do your thing. Uh, yep, which is, exactly what I was going to say. Because yeah. you can watch his goal. He's actually the one that starts it on the right side and then trails all the way to the left side and then keeps passing and then goes into the box. And when he scores his header, he's on the right side of the box. So he's someone that literally went all the way around the field to score that goal. And his off the ball movement's just been incredible. And I think that's the biggest difference between him now at Bethlehem. Yeah. And I was going to say exactly the same thing. And that could even be looked at as perhaps his, his, teammates are scrambling a bit with him having that kind of freedom they're having to kind of cover the holes so there is that as well that perhaps the openness and the defense of covering that openness is is a reason they could be giving up goals I think if I was playing New Mexico United I might try to take advantage of where Santi is is uh leaving vacant holes so um all good thoughts I can't wait to talk to Evan about it some more but man that was fun right there but let's talk about Fresno one Reno one uh, that's a draw, and these teams are just looking exactly like I thought they would, except Fresno's perhaps a little more dangerous than I expected. Uh, we were just talking about Fresno draw, so it is another Fresno draw, but both teams look pretty good attacking-wise. Um, both teams are pretty open and fun to watch. That was a good game. I didn't watch the whole thing, but what I did see was was pretty good and plenty of chances on both sides. Pretty close game, so um, that one was pretty good. We're going to finish up the games we watched with New York Red Bulls 1, Nashville SC 1. Didn't Nashville lead this one most of the time, Jason? Uh, you know, it's funny because this was pretty much a straight-up Nashville. If you want to know if they can play defense, this is how they showed you. They only held the ball for 40%. Uh, they had 21 interceptions, which I guess that's an impressive stat. I don't know if you would want to have 21 interceptions in a game, but they – uh stuck to the task and um, man of the match, former union player, since we're talking about uh, Bethlehem and union and former Bethlehem player, Ken Trevitt, uh, best defender. Um, and what, what Nashville's plan was, was we're not holding on to this ball. As soon as, as soon as the high press comes, we're just long balling it. And that's what Ken Trivet did. Um, and then it was a bad back pass that led to a goal Nashville being up. Uh, and then New York, though, keeping that press, keeping the fast pace, did response. Um, Brian White with a goal. But what I really loved on that goal was that uh, Armelito stood his ground, uh, handled the pressure and the bump, and sent in a good cross. Because a lot of times you'll see players feel that contact, go down, try to draw the foul, and then play on, and they wasted an opportunity. So I really like that. Um, but, yeah, the one of the things that surprised me was uh, Justin Davis did not handle the pressure well at all and uh, had a horrible passing percentage, just wasn't, wasn't really the the presence that he's usually. So uh, that's something to watch for, for that defense. But I think overall Nashville held their ground. Well, they came in with a game plan and uh, they executed it. Yeah. That's, that's one of the cool things about the USL that's developed more recently. I would, I would say in the last five years, perhaps is we see teams playing different styles and, and, reading up on each other and studying video. And um, this is a good example of Nashville playing against the Red Bull style, um, certain styles coming from each side. So that was really cool to bring that out, Jason. Good stuff there. Um, Any other thoughts about the games we did watch, even some of the games below? Uh, Anything anyone wants to say before I just start reading off scores and stats? (laughs) 
just wanted to quickly touch base on Portland too against uh, Las Vegas Lights. Portland ended up with the three-one win, and Darren Espria's goal for that third one to finish off a brace rim in the seventy-fourth minute is Dyron, by Dyron. far a goal of the week. Dyron Espria. Dyron Espria. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a really fantastic um, draw-dropping bicycle kick goal. Go, uh, go out on Twitter. Go to. Portland Timbers too, and go find that highlight because it's pretty crazy. Um, a lot of people in Portland were all like, "Where the hell was that for the first team?" <laughs> including myself, because like, that. "What the hell, man? You can do it in the USL, but you can't do it in MLS." I guess we know where you're going to be playing for the rest of the season. But but isn't that what he does? Like when he does, like I remember the playoffs last year. Portland brought him in, and everyone, oh, here we go. And then he made an impact and scored a goal and kept it, uh, the kept y'all in the game to win against Seattle. So I feel like he's not consistent. He does well in the preseason. He he's makes people excited. Like, Oh man, maybe he's turned a corner and, and then uh, doesn't. And then he had, and it wasn't just last season in the playoffs. He's actually had an impact in um, the playoffs prior to that as well. When we had him and um, it's, it's, cool he does this kind of shows i think why the timbers are still excited about him but um it would be nice if he could be consistent and for the first team um but man i don't know what's going on with t2 i mean they're second place in the west and it's kind of blowing my mind i i wasn't expecting them to win against san antonio and i didn't have any expectations for this game um which i guess is kind of nice because you really get to enjoy it and other than las vegas being what i would deem reckless like very reckless um they had a ton of fouls on t2 and they just all they seemed to be was wanting to just kind of like go after people or i i don't i didn't i didn't feel that there was a plan other than just go out and be aggressive and given their coach that sounds exactly like what the plan would be i don't know (laughs) well the problem is that's what they were last year they had the most yellow cards they had the most red cards and they played like there was no plan you know i i hate it i thought they were going to change at least some and they're looking like the same old las vegas it's only a couple games in though i mean i'm willing to give one a chance but uh, but yeah you're right it's it doesn't didn't look like they had a plan and t2 either are getting lucky or they might actually be good this year no, I, I totally believe it, to be honest, but I'm glad you touched on that. If you guys want to pull up your standings, I'm going to kind of chat about it for a second because I don't know if anyone, we did put out our, our guesses on our predictions on what it would look like. It didn't look like this, that's for sure. But, you know, what's to be expected? I think things will even out a little bit more in the future. But um, right now in the West, we got Tulsa Roughnecks leading with the Timbers, both at seven points apiece. Two wins, uh, one draw each, and then a loss for the Roughnecks. Have they played four games already? That's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, their loss was to New Mexico, which if you think about it, if New Mexico beats Tulsa 2-1 and Tulsa's top of the league and Tulsa beats Tacoma 4-0 because Tacoma sucks, like what does that say about New Mexico? <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> Well said. That's why we're talking about this right now, fellas. This is good stuff. Um, Sacramento's level also up there at seven points. Uh, the next three are Colorado Springs, Switchbacks, OKC Energy, New Mexico United at six points. And then uh, I don't want to read off the whole standings, but that we didn't expect it to look quite like that. Um, Tampa Bay Rowdies and St. Louis lead the East with seven points. The next two are North Carolina and Louisville. A lot of good players still further down the standings, like Indiana uh, 11. All the way down in 11th place, Nashville in 7th. Um, you know, not sure if we expected that. Riverhounds in 15th. Crazy stuff. Any more thoughts about the standings before we start reading off the games? Do y'all think that Tulsa's real? No, but I do think they'll be better. I they, yeah. They same. seem more I don't organized. Think they played anybody right now. Yeah. It'll but, be weird for Tulsa. It's an odd year. So they should be a mid table side. I've, with the ELO ratings, they're currently at an 11.16. Their highest ever ELO rating was an 11.18 achieved in 2017, another odd numbered year. <laughs> so if they just get another two ELO points, we'll be looking at an all-time best Tulsa Roughnecks teams, and that's a sentence that's never been uttered in USL, period. Here's and, a uh, fun Tulsa yeah. fact for you guys. It took 15 matches last year to score the same amount of goals that they've scored already. That's crazy. That's There's crazy. An 
Nick Ferry will do a uh, Timbers 2 from 17 to 18 and just improve dramatically to from bottom to around uh, mid-table. So but I think one interesting thing that Pony put out on Twitter for or what happens the longest, a team doesn't win a game or a team doesn't lose a game. The current polling has 84%. A team doesn't win a game, but I'm actually thinking that a team doesn't lose a game this year might go longer. Interesting. Who do you think it'll be? I I don't know. We're looking at, like, it, it weird that they get beaten at all. It could very well be North Carolina FC. We could see it from Sacramento. Mm-hmm. But here, here's my question on that. So you're saying which goes longer, a team doesn't win a game, so draws count as part of that? Because there's only two teams in the entire league right now with Birmingham and Hartford that have no points. Everybody else has at least a point. So there's people that are getting results. A lot of draws are happening for sure. Mm-hmm. So just to read off Hartford's upcoming matches, at Indy, at, Ta- or I don't know, yeah, at Tampa, at Pittsburgh, at Red Bulls 2, at North Carolina. <laughs> so uh, that, that might be an answer. But for this, it's just a team doesn't have to win a match, and there are 12 different sides in USL who don't have a win at the moment. This season's still very early, but mm-hmm. you know, I just feel like it's you know, almost more likely that a team will go on a hot streak and continue winning than a side that basically just doesn't get a win it could very well be hartford does not get a win until may because you're still on the road until then birmingham's been struggling uh loudon's down there or it i i just think that there'll be more sides that go through a very bad dry spell before a team ends a hot streak Mm. interesting i like that we should keep up with that and uh track that i'm sure pony will give us some updates um Let's start reading off all the rest of the games. We are getting close to the end of the show, but we are moving a lot better this week. So well done, uh, well done, group, uh, gang, whatever you want to be called. Uh, friends. <laughs> friends. No, not friends. Definitely not friends. <laughs> Screw you too, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The first game is Real Monarchs 5, uh, Los Dos 0. This one can be explained by a Didier Traore um, red card in the 70th minute. Um, all but one goal happened. Oh, no, all but two goals happened after that. But still, Michael Chang had a really good game, and Steve Yasso, I've heard it pronounced. Um, I think he had his first start. He's a younger kid playing for Real Monarch, so that's uh, pretty great. Um, I'm not going to go too much into that one. Again, um, this works in a way that I'm just going to keep reading unless you guys interrupt me. So if you have something to say, please do interrupt me. Um, Tulsa Rubnecks played the next show or the next game for um, says Sounders FC2 on Google, but that's Tacoma Defiance got zero goals in this one. Uh, Luca Lobo got two in the 44th and 57th minute. Uh, two of those were his. Uh, 17 shots on goal to nine uh, shots on target for uh, Tulsa, nine and two for Defiance. Although Defiance had the ball for 62% of the of the time. This is exactly kind of what I've been saying about two teams versus indie teams, especially where they're going to play out of the back and they're going to play it right. And they're going to do it no matter what. Because uh, they're going to play dogma- dogmatic soccer in a way that they're going to play out of the back and try to keep it pretty the whole time and learn from their mistakes. Uh, Tulsa took advantage of that or in this one, most definitely. So um, I think that's the story there, personally. Uh, does anyone else have thoughts on that? Cool. And I think that could be across the board. You see ATL, UTD2 do that sort of thing. Um T2 doesn't really do that, though, but a lot of the other uh, two... Oh, Swope does that for sure. So, anyway, something to watch there. Colorado Springs switchbacks got one goal versus San Antonio, who got no goals. Oh, man. Um, San Antonio's kind of on a bad streak right now, right? Does anyone know the record offhand? Cesar Romero got his uh, first start and scored in the 86th minute, so props to him. It was a nice one. 16 Romero's shots to good. nine. What'd you say? Romero's goal was good, and San Antonio's uh, current record is no wins, two losses, one draw. Yeah, not expected because I thought San Antonio was uh, kind of coming in hot from preseason. Um, yeah, and they 
and even that first game, the three, three with Phoenix, you know, they let that one slip away from them, but you still saw some positives and thought, okay, this, this might be a team ready to make, you know, jump a couple spots, but I, yeah, I don't know what's been going on. Yeah. With San Antonio, their next three games is the uh, Austin bold home opener and then hosting Vegas and galaxy. And I feel like they just have to earn points from those games yeah. or else it's, like if they can't get points against Vegas, it would be time to start hitting the panic button in San Antonio. Yep. The other side of this story is the switchbacks may be that good too. And that's something people have been saying, especially in my opinion, uh, smart soccer guys have been saying the switchbacks are going to be extremely good this year. And so that's something to watch for sure. San Antonio to me also is kind of the antithesis of Tulsa as well. I think they may even things out just by, by way of who they play and, and how, um, in the near future where they both kind of come more toward the middle of the, the standings. Colorado does a good job in not letting you play how you want to play. Uh, they had 13 fouls, I think, in the previous game and three yellow cards and just really weren't allowing uh, for the game to go that, you know, which way teams want it to go, right? If, they, if you come in, San Antonio might have came in there and said, this is how we want to play. And you know, switchback said, nah, we're not going to allow that. We're going to slow the game down and we're going to play at our speed. Uh, not to mention, this is something we haven't mentioned in the recent past because Colorado had a bad year last year. Um, this was in Colorado and they play well at home and Romero did score in the 86th minute at high altitude, you know, something to think about there. So, um, the next game, Sacramento Republic four, OKC energy one, Jason, I got to throw to you on this one. Cause pony wants to hear you explain why OKC, OKC just lost so badly. It's because, uh, you know, like I said, it's the year of the Jamaican strikers and Jamaican right now are on international duty. So that's what I'm going <laughs> to, that's what I'm going <laughs> to talk it up to. Yeah, no, just a, just, it wasn't, they, they controlled possession. They had more passes. They were more accurate with the passes. Uh, they just did not do anything. They did not make any great chances. Right. And they went, when Garcia is the one that's scoring for you, uh, a Rafael Garcia, uh, is your lone goal? That's not good. You need to have more attacking power. You need to have more chances created, and they didn't do that. Hmm. Um, and it shows. I think they only had one corner in the whole game. So yeah, I I'm gonna go ahead and say that they are not good without their Jamaican powers. You know, they they need their Jamaican colors and the flags waving. <laughs> so here's a question for you guys: Cameron Awasa hat trick, Romario Williams hat trick. Uh, which would you vote as the better, maybe more important to their team, hat trick? Because Iwasa got player of the week this week because his hat trick followed up with an assist on Sam Werner's goal, whereas Romario Williams only got the hat trick. I think Iwasa. Yeah, easy, easy, because yeah. Romario is not going to be down all that often, I don't think. Exactly. At least I hope not for his sake. Well, and I'll tell you what, I voted for Iwasa, and the reason was because his hat trick came in 11 minutes as opposed to the full 90 plus four or five for Mario. And, you know, he did get the assist to really seal the game away four one in first half stoppage. Okay. But did Iwasa cause a brawl between the two teams and delay a game for five minutes because he was standing over a ball and kicked it out the way for a free kick. No, I don't think he did. So maybe you need to take that into consideration. I like it. Alan Underwood's been kicking in good stuff, good stuff throughout the show. The best one so far, though, is I didn't realize this. Luca Lobo from uh, Tulsa Roughnecks is leading the Golden Boot race, so that's pretty cool. Wow, interesting. Um, let's finish up. Uh, we got one more game. It's Bethlehem Steel zero, Memphis nine hundred one. Got one goal. Um, didn't expect this one. I think the stats are interesting on this one. Bethlehem Steel got eleven shots. Um, Memphis six. Two on goal for Bethlehem, though, whereas uh, Memphis got three. Possession, 61% in favor of Bethlehem Steel. So another two-team owning possession and losing the game. Um, their pass accuracy was 81%, which is really good for having that much possession. Maybe it was in their own half. I don't have that stat. But um, interesting thoughts there from anybody. Memphis's first win of the year. Is there more passes for Philadelphia or, I mean, for Bethlehem than they had fans in the stadium? They have 561 passes. Give me a second. I can check their fans. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's got to be more I'm than guessing the fans. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and from what I heard was most of the, like, there's a good 200 fans that were there for Hackworth. Nope. 
<laughs> it was 585 fans. Oh, so close. Mm-hmm. But again, if you are putting almost as many passes as the number of supporters in your that are watching your game live, oh, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> good, good for Memphis to get a win, though. Good for mm-hmm. their fan base to see that. And I think it was a great goal. I can't, I, I don't remember if it was this game, but I think he picked that up from about 25 yards out and just had a nice shot at it. Um, but yeah more efficient team with Memphis. It's almost like Bethlehem needs a forward midfielder who runs off the ball well and, you know, can score and shoot from anywhere, can have headers or free kicks or uh, only. Especially. (laughs) All right, fellas, I think that wraps it up. We're doing pretty good about an hour and five minutes or so with the intro adding in. So, um, good show this week. Evan will be coming back next week. If I'm not mistaken, he's going to have to come down off his high off, come down from the heavens of whatever stadium he was in, in Ireland, um, watching them play Georgia. He was way up in the clouds. Aviva stadium. Look it up. It's a really gorgeous stadium over there. It looked really nice, even from where he was sitting. And he said it holds a ton of people. So, um, word so all right let's close it out with this which is uh thanks to our sponsor roughneck scarves official scarf supplier of mls usl and u.s soccer get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com and we'll sign out with uh every individual member of tonight's show jason let's where can people find you online you guys can find me at home sweet soccer and i'm ready for whatever you're throwing at me Ryan, what is the airport code for Wilmington, North Carolina? You can find me online at ILM underscore Ryan. I thought I'd throw it back there a little bit with that one. Uh, <laughs> Kev, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me at K McCamish PDX. And, uh, and if you don't follow me, give me a follow. I don't tweet much, but let's see if maybe uh, people out there can boost me up to almost a thousand followers. Can we make it? be cool that's millennial <laughs> talk kev millennial talk i'm phil grooms you can find me uh phil grooms on twitter two l's two o's thanks everybody for listening we'll be back next tuesday night at the usual time have a good one Bye.